when you're preaching, there's always something to do. So I'll never run out of things to do in preaching, and I like that actually. Um, today I want to talk about Jesus' cross as Satan's loss. I'm, gonna, I'm going to give this one a shot straight from uh, memory. So uh, this is an interesting lesson, I think, because when we consider how uh, victorious the cross is, there are some things that it, would, it should motivate in us. And I'm going to give you five things today that we'll talk about that as we go through the lesson. So first of all, let me say welcome from Camelback Church of Christ. You all are more than welcome anytime. Um, hopefully one of these Sundays you'll drive down the road. It's about an eight-minute drive, even if you hit every single light. So it's really close, um, and you're more than welcome. We have service at 9.30 a.m. for Bible study. We meet in the fellowship hall. Um, we're very much ADA compliant, so if you need to get around, there's plenty of uh, um, opportunity and, and, and facility to handle that. Um, we have uh, services for worship at 10.30 a.m. on Sundays, and certainly you're more than welcome to come to that. Um, so I just want to say welcome from us to you, and hopefully, uh, if you're able, you'll be able to get out one time and visit with us. Uh, so we're talking today in the Bible in Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, Paul says something that as he's starting to close this letter, this is the last part of Galatians there at that end of chapter 6, and as he closes this letter, he starts to review what he has talked with them about, and he wants to leave them with a few emphasis points. Okay, so he's reviewing, but he's also kind of leaving a, a few last tidbits for you to kind of latch on to and take home, and one of those which is very easy to remember because he says it so forcefully, it's hard to miss it. And he says this, you can see it up here, he says, But far be it from me to boast. Boasting normally is, is something that comes out of pride. And so Paul says, uh, if Far be it from me to boast, except what? Except in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then he says this at the second half of that. He says, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There's a, that, there's a whole sermon in just that verse. And that's what we're going to walk through today. Because when we, Have you ever watched um, American Family uh, video? Um, yeah, anybody see those? They're hilarious, right? You'll see these epic fail videos. They're American Family videos. They came from like the 90s and the early 2000s, and this is where you see uh, people that were, are there with a camera, and they're catching a real moment when something kind of messes up. For example, the one that we were watching uh, right before this sermon was, there's a little boy, he's probably six or seven years old, and he's standing on the bed, and his dad apparently did not realize his strength, because he says, hey, catch this pillow. They're playing catch on the bed. And he's standing at the end, and he, he, he throws it, and he just beams him. And that poor kid just hits the floor, uh, on the, on the, hits the bed. And I just thought, um, that's one of those things where, you know, mom and dad are like, oh, let's capture this moment, this is so cute. And apparently dad got too excited. Well, that's, that's kind of what we're looking at today, because when you, when you think about this, there are two major epic fails that the Jewish Christians were struggling with in the province of Galatia, and that's several different cities. That's Derby, Lystra, Iconium, several places that Paul visited and established churches in. But the common problem was there were these Jewish Christians trying to influence the church to move them backwards. 
And that, that is a big problem. Here were their two big epic fails. I'll show you the first one. The first one is, many of those Jewish Christians, they spent quite a bit of time trying to enforce the Jewish law. Now, you might know that in Judaism there was this requirement for circumcision. And there was also these requirements for you know, eating certain foods and not eating certain foods. There were also the practice of certain holidays that were considered religious. And so they were binding these things back onto the Christians. And, and this, is a, this was their first thing. So this first one, the epic you know, fail number one was, uh, they were kind of full of fear of what other people thought of them because they had just left Judaism and entered into Christianity. So many times when a person is baptized and they come out of the water, they, they're a new Christian and a new creature, but they kind of have to start the new walk with Christ. And that new walk with Christ is something that as they leave that old life, well, there is that old life. Um, I had an old preacher, Roger McCown, that used to say, sin lies buried, but just under the water surface deep. So you've got to realize there's still that temptation to pull backwards. Well, for these Jewish Christians, their first thing was they were afraid. They were afraid of people. Um, they were thinking, I don't want to lose um, the benefit of my friends that I still have. Even though I'm a Christian now, maybe not all of them have converted to Christianity. So part of that problem is uh, that they were fearful. They were fearful of what other people thought of them. Now, they, we have to really acknowledge that fear is a very powerful motivation. Sometimes it can be used for good, but a lot of times fear keeps us from doing the good that we know we ought to do. And so what happened in this particular case, they were afraid of what other people might say. So they were saying, well, if you guys want to be good Christians, you've got to do what Jews do. And the Gentile Christians, who never had access to Judaism or Christianity or, or, or no real connection with the Bible yet, now suddenly with Christ had this new open uh, oper uh, the relationship. And so now there was no more barrier between, there shouldn't be any, any hyphenated name. We're just Christians only, and we wear the name of Christ, and that's all there is to it. There's not a Jewish Christian, there's not a, a, any other kind of hyphenated word. And so that was the first thing, fearful of what other people thought, so trying to reach back. The second thing that they were dealing with here, this is epic fail number two, or epic moment number two. During that time period, they, there was what they called the Egypt party. The Egypt party was the party that always traveled around and complained. And so these group, this group of Jews that wanted to, to force people to go backwards in their faith, rather than forward into Christ and his word, were traveling around this province causing trouble everywhere Paul had established a church. And so the, the, second, the, the second kind of pull that they were trying to use was to say, well, if you want to look good to other people, you'll be a good Jew. Wait a minute, you're not, you're not that background anymore. You're, you're a Christian now. And one of the interesting things about this is, because they wanted to make a good show of it, what does that tell you they were, they were full of? They were full of pride. They wanted to care more about what other people said about them and to win that approval rather than give, give the glory to God and gain His approval. Now you might remember from last week's lesson or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a word in the Bible called grace. And grace is a word that stands by itself. And there are way, way too many theologies that have added other words to talk about grace. There is just simply God's grace. That's all there is to it. We don't, we don't want to add to that in our theology. 
Because what, what matters to us is when God says, hey, welcome home, you've been saved, and Jesus is standing there and saying, welcome home, thou good and faithful servant, well done. All of us just want, if, that, if Jesus just says that to us when we get to meet him on judgment day, won't that be enough for us to walk into heaven's gate? I would say absolutely. We absolutely would definitely uh, be glad if that happened. So by, by living in this sort of fear and pride, these Jews were, were causing a lot of trouble for the Christians. Um, Christianity is actually, actually meant to be very simple. It's actually meant to be very simple. It's intended that, um, that you and I would simply uh, follow after what Jesus said, read what he said in the New Testament, and use that as our guide. Uh, that, can, that, that sounds complicated because sometimes we look at those 27 books in the New Testament and we get a little bit of afraid because we're thinking, how much Bible do I need to know? Well, let me ask you a question. How much Bible, how much Bible does somebody really need to know to be saved? Well, in, in a nutshell, I'm giving a very quick nutshell, 30, you know, one minute, 30 second version, you know, of this. You need to know that, that God is real, that the Bible's real, that Jesus is real, and what he did for you on the cross is to save you from your sins. And in order to access that, a person has to become a Christian and then follow after him. Now, certainly you want to learn more after that. But the starting point is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty short run, runway. Can I say it that way? And so the, the neat thing about Christianity is it's intended to be easy to access. I don't think Jesus died for people that were, you know, in some particular category, right? He died for everybody, 1 John 2, 2. He wants everybody to be saved. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, he says, God is not, he's not slow as some consider slowness. Okay, he's not, he's not uh, patient as you and I think of as patience because our patience is, very short compared to God's patience. But he is patient, not wanting men to perish, but all to come to repentance. I had a question last night that was really good, and, uh, and I'll, I'll share it with you because I think you'll find this really interesting. I had a person that asked this question. They said, because and they were older. There were a crowd similar to here, where uh, older members who have looked backwards on their life and said, Man, doesn't it seem like we're in the worst of times, right? Charles Dickens, right? It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And their, their point was, as they got older, they see what, what Satan has done to destroy the faith of people that they were close to, and how some people have survived and held on to their faith and worked through whatever those difficulties were, and there's all different kinds of stories I'm sure we could tell. Uh, but, but, but there are some that didn't make it. They let that sin overtake them and carry them away from the Lord. Uh, the interesting thing about this is the question was, doesn't that make you feel like sometimes you want the Lord to come back right now? And my answer to that is quite simple. When you ask the question of, do you want the Lord to come back now? I would say, no, I want the Lord to keep exercising his patience because we all have people that we love that we want to make sure we see them in heaven. And if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you think about where Cain and Abel, right? Cain and Abel, or Genesis 4, where Cain and Abel are having this little conflict, right? Cain is upset because the Lord didn't accept his sacrifice. But what happened afterwards? What happened afterwards? The Lord put a mark on Cain. He didn't just kill him. He didn't just destroy him and be done with it. 
He put a mark on him, and Cain settled in the land of Nod in, in the east. He moved east and out, away from his family as he was driven out. But why was he still kept alive? Because the Lord is patient. What would the Lord be more pleased with? A Cain that died not being repentant, or a Cain that had died obeying the gospel message? I think the answer is clear. And so I believe that, it, that this is where these, these, these Jewish Christians trying to influence the Gentile Christians and trying to add things that weren't necessary to add were causing so much trouble. And so Paul would say in this section, if you read in Galatians 6, I'll, we'll look at verses 11 to 14, you'll see that Paul just says, rubbish to all that. Far be it from us to boast. We're not going to boast because... We're full of pride and we're trying to gain favor from the, from the world. We're not going to be fearful of what other people think because we've chosen to follow after Christ, and that, that's not always a popular opinion or choice. Uh, but we're going to follow, but, but, but for us who are Christians, Paul says, rubbish to all of that. Just boast in Christ and the cross. Stay with that alone. Because I believe, brothers and sisters, that Jesus' cross is Satan's loss. What Satan wants to do is to make people die outside of Christ. What's the power that he holds? He holds the power of death. And if you're outside of Christ, he holds you in that, right? And when he holds you in that, you have no hope beyond that particular life that you've lived while you were alive. But when Jesus went down in Ephesians chapter 4, what does it say? He led captives in his train. And then what did God do? It's the what, what is Romans 1.16? What's the power of the gospel? It's the power of God unto salvation. He resurrected Jesus. So Jesus now has what? The keys to Hades and hell. He's got the keys of over death. And so when somebody physically dies, we know that that's not the end. There is a life that is beyond. There is a hope that is beyond this life. And that's a hope that it doesn't matter how old you and I are, it is always worth finding someone to share that message with. Because the cross that Jesus died on meant that he conquered sin and he conquered death in the grave, and it was Satan's loss. Somebody say amen. And that is good stuff for each and every one of us. So let me share with you a few points here that, that what this means out of, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. So as you look at that passage, the first part that I want to talk about is the cross crucifies the Christian to the world. And then the second part I'll look at is the cross crucifies the Christian to the, wor uh, the world of the Christian. And then right here in number 3, the cross's effect produces a new creature. And we'll talk about the details in the next few slides. And then a couple more points the cross is the rule by which we'll, we walk our walk, and it's the only way, the only possible way by which we have real, everlasting peace and mercy as we walk that walk with Christ. And so let's look at that first point when we talk about this. What does it mean for the cross to crucify the world to the Christian? Well, Quite simply, when you think about how the world tries to attract people, what does it use? It uses everything in, in terms of seeking pleasure or uh, gaining power or anything that's going to distract you from doing what God has asked us to do. And so when a person becomes a Christian, 
the, the, the idea of sin and all of the things that they left in their past, when you repent of that sin, become utterly sinful, meaning they just become kind of yucky, if I can say it that way. Sin now becomes something that, you, that is distasteful. It's something you don't want to do. Certainly there's temptations, and, but we don't want to give in to those things. And that's what Romans 7.13 says. When, when we recognize that, sin becomes utterly sinful. It's just we know it because we knew what we experienced before, and we don't want to go back. We don't want to go backwards into that. Um, J.W. McGarvey, an early Restoration preacher, said this. I love how he said this. He said, we fear not the frowns nor the, disad- the disdain of our, of our fellow man. So we no longer are fearful of what the world thinks. We are more concerned with what God thinks. What did Jesus say? Another thing that we try to do once we become a Christian is we stop trying to fix the church. The church itself is perfect. It's the perfect bride of Christ. He died and he made that bride perfect. The people inside are human, right? We're all, we're, we all have human qualities. And we know that we fall short of the glory of God. But the church itself that Jesus built is perfect. And if he's washed you and I clean of our sins, we no longer have to go backwards into that past. We can stand justified before God. We can live a sanctified life, leaving whatever those things were, and growing closer to our Lord. And that, I hope, if it were me it would motivate us inside to tell that message of the gospel story. That gospel story that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he was resurrected, and he did that for everybody. Anybody can access that if they're willing and they want to. And so what, it, what does it mean for the cross to, to crucify the world of the Christian? The world no longer dictates the terms. We go to Jesus, we go to the scriptures. That is where we find our source. And that's something we want to tell other people about. Um, I think secondly... What, why, what does it mean when that the cross crucifies the Christian to the world? So now from our perspective, we recognize something. If sin no longer has that appeal because it becomes distasteful and, and terrible, then we recognize if Jesus overcame, he gives us victory to overcome. And that we are empowered to conquer sin. Forgive my spelling there. We are empowered to conquer sin. Remember in Romans chapter 8, we are more than conquerors. Why? Through him who loved us and saved us by what? His, and called us by his grace. And what's interesting about this is it does not matter what the background of a person is. It doesn't matter how dark. It doesn't matter how demented. It doesn't matter how sinful. It doesn't matter how many years it's been. All that matters is that Jesus will forgive the penitent heart. The person that comes to him, what is he going to do except exercise his love and compassion towards them? So when we come and we repent and we, when we obey that gospel message, those commands to, be, to repent and be baptized, as Peter said in Acts 2.38, what, what will he do? He will forgive. Yes, he will. And so then we know that we have that opportunity and I don't know about you, but when I, we have that opportunity, I want to take that opportunity. Now, a couple more things uh, that I'll go through is, is uh, the cross. What does it do for a person once they've become a Christian? Once they've become a Christian, they are gifted with a brand new life. Remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible says that the that you are a new creature. The old has the old is gone, right? The new has come. Um, in Colossians, it talks about if you've been baptized in Christ, you are clothed with Christ. So as that new creature, that new person, in Romans 6, it says when you're baptized, you're raised to walk in newness of life. And so you are now a new person. You no longer have that past from before. Certainly you have the memory of it, but it's no longer something binding you. You are now freed. The blood of Christ washes that sin clean. And we start with a completely fresh, clean slate. Boy, I don't know about you, but that is a wonderful appeal, isn't it? I think the appeal of the gospel is you can start over and God will help you. And he is there and he wants to. He desires for men to be saved. Um, one of the other things that we notice in Scripture is, so if once we start to follow after Jesus, the cross becomes the rule. Jesus becomes the rule for our Christian walk. In the Bible it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That means that we trust that what God has for us is better than what we might think. And sometimes that can be the temptation. We want to reach out for what we can hold because we can see it. Because we'll say, seeing is believing. But in truth, Hebrews says, faith is what? Faith is the assurance of things not seen. And, the, and believing in those things which we hope for. And we know that that, of course, is Jesus and, and the future that we have with him. So walking sometimes not by sight but by faith means we may not always understand. We may not always know. But you remember the old hymn, Farther Along, what? We'll know all about it. Farther along, we'll understand why. So we realize that some things that may not make quite as much sense right at the moment, in time often we'll, we'll have hindsight and we'll have some 20-20 vision. And then some things we just leave to God. You know what? We don't always know why, why things happen. We don't always know why. Job was never told why. Uh, several times in the New Testament, when uh, in, in the end of John, when Peter is being restored by Jesus, Jesus didn't tell him why. He just said, this is what's going to happen. And so go out there and preach the message. Whatever happens, you preach the message, Peter. And Peter, of course, in that first sermon in Pentecost, they baptized 3,000 people that day. So sometimes we don't always know why. Walking by faith is I trust that Jesus knows better than I do, and not by sight. I think another thing that we can see is that the cross does something amazing for us when that plan of redemption gives us real peace, real lasting peace. Well, how does, it, how does the, 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 the Bible teach that? Jesus has made peace between us and God by his blood shed on the cross. That means that you and I now no longer have that wrath of God, the wrath of God that's being revealed, Romans chapter 1, against mankind. I mean, people do bear the consequence sometimes of their sins. Well, thankfully, we don't bear the final consequence of our sins as Christians. That is eternal separation from God. And as we live in that, in that new peace that we have with Christ, Galatians 2.20 says, It's not I, what, that live, right? I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. So it's no longer my life, it's his life to lead. And our confidence in our faith, it's what we did in Romans 6, 1 through 7 says that you, that you died, you were buried in the waters of baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. That's Romans 6. 
And it, and it tells us that's where our confidence comes from. Our confidence comes from what Jesus did on the cross. He said it, he did it, and we trust that he, it will do what he said it will do. And so if he says that it'll forgive us, we believe it'll forgive us. And it makes peace. That's Romans 5.1. And then we live our life. Now, this is the rub, right? The rub, like I said right at the beginning, we leave that old life, but there's still that temptation sometimes. So what happens after a person becomes a Christian and then they have, they have sin? I had a phone call about three weeks ago where I spent probably, probably three or four hours total in different calls with a person that was very worried about all these little individual things and they were just scared to death that God would not take care of them if they um, had one more sin added to their plate. Let me tell you something, and this is after they were baptized. Let me tell you something. We live not because we ourselves are perfect. We live because God has granted us mercy. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Grace is giving us something we don't deserve. And what we live by, we walk by faith in. So we trust that when we say, God, you know what? I'm sorry for that sin. It's not because we are looking for permission to do more things. Certainly we don't want to go down those kind of paths. We, we just recognize that sometimes we're going to fall short. And we need the grace of God to pick us back up again and say, you know what? I'm washing that up. Keep going. You're a saved follower of me. Get up and follow after me. Don't let those things tear you down or bring you away from me. Hold on close, because that's where you get that real long-lasting peace and knowing that you're, you're right with God. Not because we're absolutely perfect. We certainly are not, or we wouldn't need Jesus, but because we recognize that he'll continue to sin. His blood will continue to cover so long as we stay close to him. So when you look in the context there, right, this is, Paul says in verse 11 that he took the, the scribe's pen and he says, See, I write this with my own hand. See what large letters I write. Now, some people get this idea from Galatians 4 that Paul had poor eyesight. I don't think that was the case. I think Paul wanted to emphasize this, so he takes the pen and says, we're writing this in capital letters. We're going to write these in big letters so that you will know this is important. This, what I'm going to tell you next, this is important. And then he says in the next couple of verses there, 12 to the next three verses, he says, you know what? These guys that are trying to get you to go backwards into Judaism instead of forward into Christianity, they're trying to do that for the two reasons we just talked about at the beginning. They're either trying to make a good show of it because of the people they're trying to impress, or they're afraid of what will happen to them if they really step out and say, I am a Christian. And they do that publicly and boldly and really just live the life they should live. So Paul gets down to verse 14, and he says this. He says the verse that we just read. He said, we're not going to boast. Far be it from us to boast in anything except the cross. The cross cancels out, any, and cancels out our sins. It crucifies us to the world. It crucifies the world to us. Live that different new life, Galatian churches. Stand up and be the Christian that God called you to be. Because Jesus' cross is Satan's loss. And he has conquered that completely and totally. Victory is Christ's. Victory can be yours and mine if we walk with Christ. Amen. 
And unity sometimes cannot be easy. But we have to be careful about what's called heresy, which is um, really, it, it, it's not complicated. Heresy is trying to do what those Jewish Christians did, trying to hyphenate Christianity, trying to just change a little bit here and change a little bit there. And we get, instead of having just a common line of, we're all walking this walk on that straight and narrow path as we walk together towards heaven, there's all that little fracturing of opinions. And so we need unity. We need to present unity to the world. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father, one God, one Lord who is above all, in all, and through all. That's Ephesians chapter 4 in the first few verses. So what we need to present to the world is not the fractured ideas or opinions that we have, but simply the gospel message that Jesus died, that you can be saved, and that really it's a message for anybody. And I think one of the other things that we can take home is that we can learn to love all people, even people we don't like, <laughs> because God commands us to love God and love neighbor. And when we love, what are we doing? We're presenting the way that Christ lived while he was here. Sometimes he was firm. Sometimes he was just downright, this is the truth, and he just really power, powered uh, through the discussion. But a lot of times you see Jesus saying, suffer the little children, come unto me, for such uh, as the kingdom belongs to such as these. Okay, Or you see him talk with John 4 about the woman at the well, or the woman in John 8 caught in adultery, and he treats them... He, did, he didn't shy away from the sin. What he did was, you have the opportunity to be saved just like anybody else. Nobody's sin is any worse or better than any other person. Sometimes the consequences are. But sin is just sin. And Jesus died to cover that and cleanse us from sin. So don't live in fear, live in love. And present that love to the world. And one of the things that we tell people in the world is that God is able to save he is able to forgive. He is able to restore. And he wants to do that. If God did not want that, why would he bother to keep this world alive so long? God is certainly patient. He certainly desires for people to be saved. And he wants them to be forgiven and restored. And that's a message that's worth telling other people. So that's our wisdom for the ages for, the, for today. That Jesus is victorious through the cross, that it led to Satan's loss, and that anybody that wants to walk with Christ can be victorious with him. Don't let fear or pride keep you from that right relationship with God. Let's sing.